0: Want to have your very own free range egg farming business? Welcome to Greengrass Egg Farming Podcast with Daniel O'Brien, the show dedicated to giving you the latest tips, ideas, and interviews to help you produce the best-tasting free-range eggs and sell your eggs for the highest price. And here's your host, Daniel O'Brien. Daniel O'Brien here, welcome back to Greengrass Egg Farming. My special guest today is troy blackman from waterfall australia welcome to the podcast good morning how are you i'm very well very well it's going to be a good podcast today we're going to talk about um troy's farm and you've got a couple of chicken caravans and cattle but first off i want to hear a bit of the background of the farm of tell me a bit about how big it is and and where you're located there
1: Yeah sure so our farm's called Waterfall Australia and we're located on the north coast of New South Wales so for those of for me with the area basically we're 15 minutes inland from Coffs Harbour so for people that maybe don't know where Coffs Harbour is we're uh, six hours north of Sydney and about five hours south of Brisbane.
0: Yeah great and and how, how many acres is your farm there?
1: So we've got two properties that we run um, our cattle and chickens on, and then we adjust on a number of other properties. So in total, our whole operation is about 400 acres in size.
0: Yeah, right. And it's all all pretty close to the Coffs Harbour region, like all the farms are pretty close? Yes, yeah.
1: So um, all the farms are within, well, two actually adjoin each other, and then we have another one that's about five kilometres away from sort of the main hub of our operation,
0: yeah great so tell me how long have you been farming there Uh, in this area we've
1: been farming for about four years now so not too long but as a family we've been farming for sort of over 30 40 years
0: Yep. okay so your main operation sort of cattle and chickens tell me about about the cattle because you do some breeding and sell off some studs don't you Yes, yeah. So
1: we basically started our whole operation off the back of a stud charolet setup. And so we moved to the area and then initially um, brought in some stock to start, I guess, the core of our breeding herd. And so for about maybe 12 months, we just operated with that. So building up our younger females and then also um, our male bulls, which we sell to basically the whole East Coast. And uh, yeah, so we ran with that for about 12 months. And then after that, we got that sort of um, set up in, in all the different areas that you, you need to set it up from the property to marketing the animals and, and just making sure everything's flowing well. And then we decided to um, add chickens to the mix.
0: Yeah, so what, why did you decide to add chickens to your operation? I, I guess
1: um, our area in general is not really known as a farming area. So we're, yeah, you know, like I said, only 15 minutes inland from Coffs Harbour and um, it's very coastal. So the type of pastures and, and various other things that you have in the area, I guess, are not like very well conducive to farming life. And so in order to make it profitable as an enterprise, we needed to diversify and, and get more income streams happening.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, so a, a lot of a lot of people sort of around like Coffs Harbour the, That'd be like a lot of lifestyle blocks, like a lot of sort of five acres. Would that sort of be right? Uh, In my area,
1: so like that 15 minutes inland area, most of the properties are around 100 acres in size because basically there's um, rules as far as what you can actually do with your property because it's zoned as rural. But uh, but even those 100-acre size lots are lifestyle blocks, so they're quite large in a sense. Pretty much up until about five years ago, the majority of the farms in the area were dairies. And then due to obviously the, um, the recent sort of industry changes and various other things, they've basically all sold up and moved on and then um, been sold off as those lifestyle blocks. And so myself and, and sort of two other operators are basically the only commercial enterprises in the area um, as far as agriculture is concerned
0: yeah so so most people having their lifestyle block do that do they run sort of a few cattle or anything on them or are some of them just empty? Uh, some of them are empty
1: and they just simply um, mow them and various other things, but I'd say probably it's a 50-50 split. So um, horses are quite big in the area and with Coffs Harbour having um, like an, an airport quite close by, you have a lot of people that say live in Sydney and then um, and they come up for weekends and things like that. So they have caretakers on their property um, and then they can come up and, and sort of experience the um, the farm lifestyle and then they can head back to their homes in Sydney.
0: Yeah, right. It's sort of interesting. I see it so many places. You've got like, like 100 acres and, as you said, like some of them are empty and they're just mowing the grass. And I think it, it really uh, – I like that example because a lot of people that don't already have a farm, it, it just opens up the possibilities that you don't have to own a farm. There's so much land you can go out there and lease because, as you said, some of these people, they've got caretakers in, so they want someone to look after it. So I think anyone that's sort of starting a farm that – you don't have any land look what look for vacant land nearby and it sounds like you're you're you've got your own farms but you're also leasing others
1: yeah that's exactly right and the cost harbour council is is sort of um I guess, quite innovative in the way they um, sort of connect local people with the farms as far as adjusting and leasing goes. Um, the, the council um, has a lot of um, federal funding to set up little um, initiatives. So they have like a website, um, which I can find out later for you guys, but basically it's uh, a bit of like an Airbnb type scenario where it's connecting farms with um, people that are looking to lease and agist. um in various setups, whether it's cattle and chickens or even vegetables and, and sort of um, more diverse um, operations as well. And so, um, yeah, like I probably meet with our local council at least quarterly, if not more, um, and we have various days where we sort of get together and um, they actually ask the farmers for um, advice. And then um, it's a very um, sort of two-way approach as far as um, what they can um, actually um, achieve together and um, and make it more productive to build up the area as well and then also support the local farmers or the people that are looking to get into the industry.
0: Wow, that, that's fantastic. I know there'd be a lot of people listening that would wish their their uh, local council would be that, that much forward-thinking. <laughs> that, mm. That's re- really good. And we'll make sure we um, do a link uh, to that website um, yeah, just in the show notes and the transcription. so. No, that that's fantastic that the council's yeah, that that much forward thinking to connect people. I think it's a massive opportunity like all over the place, whether it be Australia or even abroad, you're linking up land with farmers. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Another point I'd probably add to that, like um, a, a number of things that I did to sort of, um, I guess, help my situation when I was approaching owners and, and, um, and, and people that had property in the area was um, that um, you can't simply just have a property and then just let it sit there because it's going to deteriorate de- deteriorate and, um, and basically don't go downhill when you um, just let it sit there and, and grass grows and you have, you know, weed populations overtaking and things like that. So, um, for people that are looking to um, uh, set up leasing arrangements and various other things, um, I guess, uh, in a sense, you're kind of doing the farmer a favor as well as them generating income from you leasing on the property. You can also um, tell them that you are, or you are basically um, improving the value of the property by maintaining it in various different ways.
0: Yeah. And I know a lot of people um, that do lease land, they sort of go in with that. Um, yeah benefit to the farmer like especially when they're going with chickens they say if nothing else you're getting chicken manure spread over your farm so your grass is going to be greener it's just um and the chickens going through is going to eradicate like a lot of weeds sort of that come come in because you're getting that nitrogen on your pasture so stronger pasture which will sort of uh, drown out the weeds so that's uh, exactly right yeah so, so many benefits Mm. so tell me um your journey um you, you had you had the cattle um and then you've sort of um started in the chickens tell me how long ago that happened uh, and and what was it like when you sort of first started some of those challenges
1: yeah sure so um uh, i guess towards the mid part of 2014 um myself and and sort of other family members because we're we're purely like a a family-run farm. So we have um, myself, um, my auntie and uncle, and then also my grandfather as well that do different roles on the property. And then also um, during different seasons we um, employ people for – Casual work as well, um, and I'll talk a little bit about what that is later on. But um, pretty much, we um, did a lot of research before we even started. So we um, we went and visited other farms. Um, I went and visited uh, Chris Eggert in Warhope, which I know is a um, good friend of yours, and and helped sort of develop the chicken caravans from the get go. And um, and then from that. Um, went and visit a few other farms, sort of in southern New South Wales, that had um, different operations as well, and and discuss with them like different ways as far as um, you know the practicalities of having chickens on the farm and how that could work to um, marketing the eggs and and um, and setting yourself up as an enterprise that way. But um, yeah, by sort of um, I guess October November in 2014, um, I made um, a little uh, sort of prototype of a chicken caravan out of just a, an eight by five foot box trailer
0: yeah. and it had
1: um uh, 10 chickens in it and we got some um, portable fence netting and we just decided that this was going to be our intro into how it actually works from like a day-to-day point of view so we set it up in our paddocks and we had our cattle in there as well and um the way that we run our chicken caravans now is i guess what's called a holistic management approach and we can sort of go into that what that is a little bit later if you like but um yeah we um we gave ourselves like before we made, um, I guess all the investments from a financial point of view and also a time point of view to set ourselves up for a commercial operation. We, um, made sure that it was actually practical for us and our farm in the area. So, um, yeah, we, we, we uh, um, I put together the, um, the chicken caravan in the trailer. It was just very, I guess, very humble. It was just, uh, like nest boxes. And, uh, then, um, we had hay in there as well. And, and then, um, uh, like it was just like corrugated tin on the roof and things like that. And it yep. um, yeah, totally did the job. And so we had, um, yeah, 10, 15 um, isa browns in there. And we, uh, yeah, we started um, trialing in our property.
0: And, and what did that teach you? Because I think it's a great uh, thing to do to start with just a few, just to see what chooks do, what they don't do. And um, did you get sort of much learning from um, from that that you've now taken on to sort of your management now with, like, a couple of caravans and a lot more chickens... Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, as any farmer would know, time is um, your friend and also very much your enemy. And so you have to be as efficient as possible. Um, So I very much learned very quickly that um, I couldn't just come and go from the the chickens, you know, five, six, seven times a day to do different jobs. I had to be very sort of um, focused and and, um, and, uh, be very um, attentive to what I needed to do when I went there. So when I was going down there, I I was collecting the eggs, but I was also um, making sure that the water was fine that their feed was fine um, that their fencing was functional Um, so I didn't have to go down there um, more than one time a day Um, and then that freed me up to do every other job that I needed to do around the property um, because uh, when we first started um, I was wasting lots of time um, doing that just in traveling time Um, and that's probably something that's transitioned to um, all the other enterprises that I do on the property um, that um, idea that you need to be I guess, um, focus when you're sort of heading to a, a location because the travel time is the thing that, um, actually sort of lets you down, um, when you're trying to be efficient.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting that travel time. I know when I've, I've consulted to farmers, um, to, to actually budget that in because it's all well and good to say, uh, it only takes me eight minutes to collect the eggs from the caravan because it really doesn't take long. You wind them in, they've got food, they got water and you go, Mm. depending on where you put your the caravan and how many gates you have to open, it could take you 15 minutes just to get there. That's exactly uh, right. And, and you're, like, you're 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. Well, there's half an hour of your day. And as you said, that travel time, it adds up, especially if you visit them twice a day. Now, m- most chicken operations, you only have to visit once a day. But it's it's good to talk about that, that travel time. And what I think w- any farming enterprises, just look at – how you are setting up your farm and if you've rather than putting um rather than going through five gates can you put in a laneway so you just you you go down the center and you just open the one gate for the paddock because um it definitely adds up over the whole year the the on-farm travel time it can be huge
1: yeah absolutely and um and it was something that helped us with um like one of our properties so we have our main property which we call waterfall and that's where all our chickens and um, young cattle are and then we have another property which we call two rivers um, and that's sort of our main mature breeding cattle property and um, at the time when we sort of were first starting we had this waterfall property that was reasonably well set up as far as fencing and infrastructure goes but our other property two rivers um, was a blank slate and so um, it allowed us just to slow down and really consider um, how we were going to set up our property to be most efficient and so exactly that we um, realized that um, we could be more efficient with the way that we set up our um, paddock sizes so we could have um uh, i guess more efficient grazing so we could bring cattle through um, graze and then allow the paddocks to rest a lot better and then we could also have laneways and and various other things like that where um, we were moving stock um through that allowed us to be um yeah definitely more efficient
0: yeah no no, that's great so um you, you started with uh, four four hundred and fifty hens. or uh, after your initial ones, you got four hundred and fifty hens. Yes, um, and then uh, and now you've got nine hundred hens all up. Is that right?
1: Uh, we've actually got three caravans in operation at the moment. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, so ha- how? When did you from your first one? What time frame until you brought your second and your sort of third one in? Okay, so we we got our first
1: caravan at the start of uh, 2015 um, and then we basically uh, uh, gave ourselves probably six months um, between um, when we got the caravan on the ground um, to when we decided we were going to order our second caravan um, and that enabled us to... make sure that the chickens were operating the way that we knew they would and that we've done our research and that everything sort of matched um, the plan that we put in place and that we had our eggs marketed. Um, And then we set up our branding um, and then uh, sort of established ourselves in the area because um, the idea of – buying direct from the farmer or buying locally um, produced um, goods is um, a little bit unfamiliar in, in the area that we're in and so um, I guess educating people on that sort of concept um, was a little bit new and so we gave ourselves a bit of breathing space with that and then once we established ourselves and we had a regular clientele with restaurants and retail outlets then we um, and we actually couldn't keep up with demand we um, yeah we were ready to sort of um, push the button and go for carrier number two
0: yeah, right. So so, what period of time from when you started marketing to when you couldn't keep up with demand? Uh, it was actually quite
1: quickly. Um, so I, I did about a, uh, probably a month and a half of um, just simply, I guess I refer to it as cold calling, so going and physically seeing um, local businesses, whether it was cafes and restaurants, and also retail outlets, so small grocers and things like that. Yeah. And um, and then uh, giving them the information, and and that was the very that was probably the most difficult part of this whole process was um, approaching a um, a business and saying that we could supply you with eggs, but at that time I literally didn't have any eggs to provide them as, as samples, and so um, I, I kind of had to um, uh, go with the approach that like I I have all these. Um, Not empty promises, but like I have this ideal and I have all these things in place. And um, do you want to jump on board? But I don't have a sample to give you. And that was a pretty interesting um, thing to go through for sure.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. It it definitely is hard. Like you don't want to wait till you've got too many eggs to start marketing, but you don't want to do it too early. So it's sort of, it is that case. What does come first, the chicken or the egg? Like (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So, uh, so you put in about a month and a half, about six weeks into that. Um, yes were you sort of finding it at the end of the six weeks all your eggs were sold or
1: yeah so by that stage at the end of that six week period i probably had about two weeks before our chickens were going to start laying and so um I, I spent a lot of time with um the hatcheries and um, the places that we were dealing with that um we're going to bring our chickens to us because we bought them um at basically point of lay so 17 weeks um so i could plan within um you know, the sort of two week period when I would be able to supply them those 600 gram size dozen eggs. Yep. And so, um, uh, and a lot of the local people were, were quite, um, I guess forgiving in that sense. So, um, the type of people that I approached were small local independent businesses. I didn't approach any say larger supermarket chains and things like that. Um, and they were, um, essentially sold on the idea of um the ethic behind what we're doing so we run an organic operation um and then also the pasture raised approach as well is something that um no one was doing in the area and so um with i guess their local customer um or and their local clientele becoming uh more educated and and wanting more or the demand was increasing for um ethical produce um they sort of understood the idea that they could be at the forefront of that in our area and so that was one of the main marketing um, tools that I used that um that got us those first clients.
0: Yeah great so um you've sort of found after six months did did it sort of hit a trigger point you realized uh you're going to need more chickens then did you?
1: Yes yeah so um it was just simply we couldn't keep up with demand so we had I guess roughly a 50-50 split of um restaurant clients and retail clients and um the restaurant clients um are interesting in that um you kind of can't not supply them their eggs they they sort of need their eggs to obviously supply um their customers but the, the retail outlets were a little bit more forgiving in that that if they sold out maybe one or two days or even three days before you were ready to supply them again um they had the ability to obviously disperse that over other products and things so yes. um, yeah they're more forgiving for that for sure
0: yeah yeah right eh? so um you got a, a second caravan so your flock went up to 900 um and and how was that, the marketing, um, when you first got those next lot of chickens in? Did you have to do a lot more marketing to sort of sell off those eggs or? Uh,
1: yeah, so uh, 50% of the supply of them was already sold before we even got the chickens on the ground. Wow. Um, that was from current clients and also I had sort of a list of people that um, were just in waiting essentially and then, um, and then I did the same approach again. Um, I sort of made a decision from the start, um, which I, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I deviated from it a little bit, um, that I was going to um, only approach local independently owned businesses. Um, that way I could keep a very good relationship with them. Um, in most cases, the manager owner um, that was in charge of the operation. And that way, um, if there was um, any issues or things like that, then I could um, basically talk to them directly and hopefully solve that um, in a very sort of human face-to-face way.
0: Yeah. And you found that um, – is that still still the case now that you deal with just the smaller retailers or are you dealing sort of with bigger um, companies and that now, like selling your eggs
1: uh, currently, we're only dealing with local independent um, operators. I did yeah. for a time, maybe about six months ago. Um, we put our eggs in. Um, I probably won't say them on the on the podcast here, but yeah. um, on on one of the larger retailers. Um, And uh, basically, when I tried to um, go into their stores, even though they're marketed as being local and independent, um, all their offices were based in Melbourne. And so it took me probably about two months before I could even get in touch with someone that could um, assist in that whole process. And then also um, another further month after that, um, we got into the stores and um, the the stores, I guess... um, Weren't on board with the idea of promoting, say, the ethic of what we were doing and the idea that we were local and things like that as much as I would like. Yeah. And so um, it just wasn't very successful um, for that reason because people had the choice. And then um, uh, I guess a large part of it was also um, a lot of the people or the demographic of people that were going to these um, grocery stores were just simply after the cheapest price. They weren't after um, a p- specific type of produce. So um, the organics and things like that um, didn't really play a part in their decision making.
0: Yeah, I think there's some some big lessons there and it's one thing I, I learned when uh, I started my egg farm is um, the, the bigger the company you approach, the longer the time frame. It's not a case you ring them on Wednesday, see them on Thursday and you, they're buying eggs off you on Friday. As you said, it's not like that at all. And um, the bigger they are, the more disconnected they are from you being a supplier, being the farmer. and And really... Them and and also their their customers they are looking at a price list they go right you you've got eggs how much are they they don't really care about your brand or or how they're grown, um, I didn't have much success with it and it's interesting hearing your story of that doesn't sound like you had a lot of success with them either
1: no not at all and that that sort of brought us to um probably one of our biggest challenges um, that's helped us in, in what we're doing now as well, but um, differentiating ourselves from other um, egg um, producers as far as free range and then obviously pasteurized and organic as well, because the clients that, um, or the customers, sorry, that uh, were in these um, grocery shops that were quite large, Um, just didn't really have an understanding of the difference between um, an organic pasture-raised production and just a general free-range production. And obviously that's changing now and it will continue to change over time, but um, this was probably 12 months ago when this happened, and so um, the idea of um, stocking rates and um, the way that animals are raised and, and animal welfare and things like that wasn't really at the forefront of people's choices when they were buying eggs at that point in time anyway.
0: Yeah. So tell me a bit about your operation. You said before you you do run a holistic management sort of operation. Um, Just explain sort of how that works, like your cattle and your chickens sort of working together.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, in very simple terms, um, we have um, our properties and they're broken up into a number of paddocks. And um, uh, I guess like I have an understanding of um, the amount um, or the stocking rates that uh, the paddocks can take and for how long. And obviously that changes at at different times of the year. And so we'll bring in a mob of cattle. um, And I actually have um, sort of um, different mobs of cattle so we have our stud um, operation which is um, stud um, males so we have um, bulls that we sell at um, mature ages to yeah, the whole East Coast and then also um, we have our female breeding operation as well but we also have a separate beef breeding operation as well and so the um, the, the animals that are I guess probably around that two year mark that um, we actually retail direct to customers um, they have, they're in a specific mob that I graze in front of our chicken caravan so they're about um, sort of 40 or 50 uh sorry 40 to 60 um head in size and so they'll go into the paddock uh, at the start and they'll graze down the paddock and usually that takes maybe two three days depending on the time of year usually longer in summer and then um, once they've grazed down the paddock um, they'll be moved on to a new paddock and then um, i'll bring in the chicken caravans in after and um, this is probably something that's um Uh, I guess people weren't really aware of, but we actually move our chicken caravans quite a lot because we've seen the benefits of um, uh, not overstressing the pasture. So um, the chickens um, basically scratching away too far or um, the caravans, um, you know, uh, ruining the the pasture in that sense. But um, we move them probably every five to seven days um, into a whole new area. And then within that five to seven days, we actually move them once more as well. So within the, the setup that we have. And so, um, so the, the cattle have gone out of that paddock and then we bring in, um, our chicken caravans and they are run basically side by side, um, in, in the, um, the electric, um, fence netting setups and then, uh, and then they're put onto the pasture and then because the cattle have been in there before, you've got all the cattle manure and, and various other things on the ground and so the chickens will do what they do naturally and they'll scratch away at the manure and then they'll eat the, the worms in the manure and, and, and uh, essentially be like the vet in the scenario there and so they're cleaning up our pasture for that and then um something that i didn't really um understand fully before we started but um uh, I do now definitely, is that the cattle are obviously very um, picky with the type of pasture they want. They want the most palatable, nutritious thing, whereas the chickens actually aren't um, very picky and, and they're kind of like goats in that sense where they'll eat the things that the cattle have left behind. So they, they consume quite a lot of their diet off the pasture as well. So um, um, And that's another benefit um, of moving as well as we reduced our feed rates because we're moving so much so um, they're consuming, you know, um, that larger amount of their diet from the pasture as well. And so with that, they'll um, stay in that area for five to seven days and then um, I might have to move the whole setup of the chicken caravans um, maybe once or twice within um, the size paddocks that we have and then they'll move on to the next paddock um, after that, which the cattle have already been in and grazed down.
0: Yeah, right. So so since having the, the chickens, what benefit have you seen to your pasture now you're running this system rather than just running the cattle?
1: Uh, I guess um, from a soil um, health point of view, I've seen um, a more balanced um, report. So we do um, soil reports um, basically every 12 months and sometimes we've done them sooner, just out of interest and things like that. But, um, yeah, definitely a more balanced report as far as the mineral content in the soil. The organic activity has increased just tenfold from what it was before because when we moved to the property, um, they were using um, I guess, like a very straight synthetic mix, so um, very high levels of urea and, and things like that. And so um, from that, yeah, it's definitely, um, in simple terms, just um, yeah, made, made a more balanced approach, which um, from a, a mineral point of view and from a pasture point of view, it's allowed our pasture to access um, Uh, the the, the good sort of uh, the minerals in the soil that it couldn't access before Um, and then um, when you um, look at I guess the levels of topsoil and various other things in the soil you can see that's um, slowly growing as well so that's definitely a benefit.
0: Yeah fantastic something else I want to um, touch on is um, I believe you've uh, built a farm shop on your farm um, like a, a retail shop can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, this probably started, um, when we decided to retail our beef direct to customers. So we, we tried probably for a little while, um, just selling our, our beef, um, to wholesalers, say from the abattoir and things like that. And we found the price that we were getting, um, and this was in, um, sort of, uh, I guess probably late 2012, 13, um, just wasn't, um, making our operation viable um and so like if if you're talking around that time we were talking maybe um probably about four dollars a kilo um for for dress weight carcasses um and then obviously that's changed quite a bit now where you've got up to sort of your six six fifty potentially depending on what you're providing but um uh yeah at that time we just decided that it it wasn't viable and um our long-term goal for the whole approach was to market our produce direct to customers anyway but it just kind of fast-tracked that because we realized that it just wasn't um to do what we were doing and so um, slowly we developed um, a relationship with a local butcher and this was something that did take quite a bit of time because um, approaching a butcher and asking them to process your cattle for you and, and bag it up and, and get it ready for um, your customers um, is a tricky subject because uh, in some respects we're kind of taking customers away from them um, yeah. but but then in other respects, we um, were a completely different thing altogether as well, like uh, the, the, the butcher that I um, deal with now um, didn't really provide a product which is similar to what I'm providing now, and so it wasn't really in direct competition with what he was doing anyway. And then also uh, um, it's providing him with steady income as far as um, because he charges a rate for us to um, have our bodies processed through him, and so it's quite a, a good regular income for him as well. And so from that we... Um, Uh, established every part of um, the beef uh, sort of set up so we could um, supply direct to our customers and then um, we needed more or less a pickup point for that. And so we started um, starting open days on our property and that allowed the people that were already buying our eggs to come out to the property and see uh, the the way that we raised our chickens and our cattle in that holistic management approach and that actually bumped our egg sales up um, probably about 25% actually just in a very short space of time and that led us to making – our um, third chicken caravan purchase, um, uh, pretty confidently, and then uh, and then from that um, it was just simply the people coming out to the farms and, and looking over the farms and the tours, and then they were picking up their their beef packs that we'd um, hire, a, a, sorry, a, a portable cool room, and then people would come out and pick them up from that, and then we decided that um, we were going to make it a regular thing, and so. Um, from, say, food authority licensing point of views and, and things like that, we wanted to be, even though we were already compliant, we wanted to be more compliant and more, um, I guess, professional in the way that we were approaching our customers. And so, um, yeah, we had a, a point of sale system set up in, in um, one of the, the rooms that we dedicated in, on our farm to that. And then slowly that just grew over time to um, having our, our eggs and, and beef for sale from there.
0: Yeah, so w- with with the farm shop, is that only open sort of, Um, on open days and tours or or how does that sort of operate it
1: is yes so um, at this stage we probably do a tour and an open day um, maybe every two to three weeks Um, it surely doesn't go much further than that so usually we do probably two a month and, um, and then with that, we um, are open on Sundays. We found that Sundays were sort of the time where um, I guess most people had free time, with Saturdays being maybe the majority of the days that families do sports and things like that. Yep. And so, um, yeah, we trialed with Saturdays and we trialed um, with Sundays as well, and we just sort of did a bit of a switch. And then we realized that um, Sunday was the day that was most convenient for, for everyone. And so we, we stuck with the Sunday. And then, um, and then with that, we sort of um, catered our times around the the time that was most convenient for our customers. So on a Sunday, we'll open at 10 o'clock in the morning and we'll be open till 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And then at 12 uh, p.m., I'll do um, a walking farm tour of our whole operation and show everyone the cattle and and the chickens and how they work together. And then during that whole time, um, people can purchase the eggs and, and beef from our shop and then we also have a, a, a mobile um, coffee van that comes out as well. So it's a way of people making a day of it so they come out and if the weather's sort of appropriate, they'll have picnics and, and various other things and then um, we just sit around and kind of hang out for a bit and people just ask questions about the farm and and, um, and the way that we farm and things like that so they can be more aware of um, what goes into the produce that they're consuming.
0: Yeah, that's great. Like it's great having such that level of transparency where you just don't get that and I think when you use that as a marketing technique of come out to the farm where you can walk around we can show you what's going on you can purchase the produce like um, the big supermarkets like we're talking about they can't compete with that they just so can't have that level of transparency and and people want that they want to know like where did it come from Uh, tell me more about my food
1: That's exactly right. And that sort of brings up a bit of a discussion around the ideas of, say, certifications and things. And in my experience, um, like uh, I couldn't afford the the costings involved with being um, certified by a third party. Um, But what I could afford over time was to build up a client base that understood exactly what we did by opening up our farms and being um, 100 percent transparent as far as what we do, the feed that we have, um, what we do with our pasture, all that sort of stuff. And so um, over time it became um, sort of an entity of itself and, and um, the idea of um, our farming methods were kind of unique to ourselves and so when people were approaching um, our produce in the shops in town and, and things like that um, they could trust uh, I guess our branding more so um, because they've come out to the farms and they've seen that and that's just a, an ongoing evolving process as, as new people come to understand our produce and, and, um, and try it for themselves.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So, so most of the people that come out, are they coming from the Coffs Harbour region about 15, 20 minutes away or? Uh,
1: sometimes even further. So we, we supply Coffs Harbour, which is 15 minutes from where we are, and then we supply further up the coast, about um, maybe 30 kilometres away from that. And then we also supply uh, further south down the coast, maybe probably uh, 40 minutes drive um, further south from Coffs Harbour as well. So it's quite, a, a, I guess, like a large um, Circle area, like I call it, sort of the the cost greater crater area, where um you, we have like a, a large number of people, and and because social media is sort of a big part of what we do and how people can connect to our farms um, beyond actually coming out to them and and being on them, um, yeah, it it spreads quite quickly, and so yeah, we have people that potentially would travel maybe an hour and a half to to come to our open days, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So if someone wanted to find out more about your operation, uh, where can they find you on the net or on Facebook or to book in for one of your open days?
1: Yeah, sure. So our website's waterfallaustralia.com.au and then we're also on Facebook, just search for Waterfall Australia and we're also on Instagram as well. Just search for Waterfall Australia as well.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today uh, and I'm looking forward to doing a, another uh, podcast with you and we can probably talk about about um, the farm shop and the open days of actually how to do that and because um, there's obviously huge, huge benefits to your farm. But um, uh, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. And um,
1: that's the best thing about um, the idea of, of making things more local and um, and more sort of personal is that um, the, the idea of um, the farms and, and the farmer operators being um, more smaller is that this whole community around the idea of um, the ethics and things like that, that we're, we're sort of raising animals differently, there's, there's really no competition in that between farmers. And so the, the idea that we can get together and, and do things like this podcast and that to help each other out is a great thing. And that was something that um, I value immensely when i started was the idea that people would open up their farms and give their time um mostly free actually which was amazing um to educate me on um the practicalities of farming in this way um is something that i'll do my best to pass on as well um and uh, and keep the whole thing going because it's such a, an important thing
0: yeah, definitely. It, it, we, we all learn so much more when we just like collaborate the ideas, um, especially in, in the farming space, because sometimes it can be a very, you can sort of be a lone ranger, everyone's got their farm doing their own thing. But when, when we open it up and talk about it, I think we can all benefit so much.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely less daunting that way. You can sort of realise that um, some of the problems that you think are probably specific to you, everyone's gone through it and um, most of the time there's, um, you know, a solution that um, is in place already and you don't have to uh, maybe reinvent the wheel to find a way of overcoming that, which is great.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, well, thanks again, Troy, and uh, I'm sure we will talk soon. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for joining us on Green Grass Egg Farming Podcast. For transcripts and other free resources, please go to greengrasseggfarming.com.